listening to First Church Charlotte. I've been singing this song all week. I told the band they're going to help me sing it, and they're never happy because they don't think I can sing very good. But they've got just spirits of evil upon them, and they think I can't sing good because I can sing just fine. So all week long, I've been singing this song. Uh, uh, yesterday at the hospital, I, I sang it in Alan's room, and I, I I talked to him as though he could hear me because you never know, you know. And, and I had Mary and my wife, Charla. They did the amen part. And so um, today is your turn. And... Um, um, just pretend like I'm magnificent, all right? You ready? Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. God has spoken blessing over you. God has spoken protection over you. God has spoken his presence over you. We have gathered together. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. sing this? Anybody? Real quick. Want to run up here and sing with me? Anybody? Anybody? Don's always willing to sing. Come run up here, Don. Run up here. Stand right here. Stand right here. Don used to be a DJ. Now we got him prayed through, so help me sing. Let the church say amen. Let the church follow me. to the wall over here just in case you're wondering what's going on. I want to talk to you about a very fundamental issue uh, to what it means to be a part of God's family, what it means to be a believer, and that is simply this, transformation. How many of you believe that God can transform to the uttermost? that how many of you are testimonies to the fact that you were dead in trespasses and sins but God <laughs> he didn't leave you in your trespasses and sins he reached way 
brought you out of that place. Amen. And so now you're a different person. Not perfect. Not perfect. That's just me. You're not perfect. But you've come a long way, baby. You still have a ways to go. But you've come a long way. Turn to your neighbor and say, That's, he's talking about you now. You've come a long way. So this message I'm preaching today is on transformation. I read a letter. I read a letter here recently. And in the letter, the, the, the author had, had given five things uh, that had been fundamental to his becoming in a uh, church context, becoming a leader. He went from being a, a pretty, pretty crazy wild sinner uh, to actually being a leader in a church. And he said the first thing the church did for him uh, that was uh, fundamental to how he could transform from who he used to be to who he wanted to be, he said, number one, the church saw potential in me. I love that about the church. I, I see talent in people and I'm jealous to see them use it for the kingdom of God. I see abilities in people and I'm jealous for them to use it for the kingdom of God. The second thing he said was that uh, the church he went to was a church that celebrated the diversity and since he was a minority, uh, he thought on first review that he would only have opportunity in a church that accepted him on the level of his minority status, which meant he had to find a church of people who were just like them and the, just like him and the shocking thing when he went to the church was that it was full of people who were not like him but they made a place for him anyway that's something that churches do to enable transformation in our lives and in our hearts he also talked about how the church that the prayer the preaching the fellowship it was designed to help him in the here and now and in, in this generation they weren't simply uh, celebrating uh, some time past or some hypothetical need but it was what you might would say relevant to his world, to his needs. Fourthly, he said the church gave him a chance to grow his gifts. It astonished him that what the things he was able to ultimately do for the kingdom, originally he had not ever dreamt that he would ever be able to do. And finally, he said the church became a literal uh, practice yard, uh, like, a, like a gymnasium to learn how to love people, to learn how to accept people who was unlike him. When I read that letter, I was deeply touched because uh, at the risk of sounding self-serving, uh, I wanted to say everything on the list made me think of First Church. Um, it's not that we're a perfect church. We're not. It's not that we do everything better than everybody else. We don't. And I am certainly just a small part of this church. I'm replaceable. But this is what I want you to know. God has brought us together and knit us together to be part of Christian transformation. We become the literal body of Christ here on earth, and we assist by creating a culture of acceptance, a culture of edification, a culture of faith, a culture of prayer. We become the literal hands and feet of God's work here in here in the earth. So I am talking today about transformation, and it is something that is of God. Every time you see God, he is working some type of transformation. Transformation. Even if you start as far back in Genesis as you can go, you will find in the beginning there was chaos. There was darkness upon the deep. But God did not leave.
leave it that way. The Bible says his spirit moved upon the waters. And out of that darkness and out of that chaos came change, came form, came order, came light into darkness. God does not leave things the way he finds them. God doesn't leave people the way he finds people. God doesn't leave marriages the way he finds marriages. God doesn't leave people who are bound in trespasses and sin as victims and kind of imprisoned uh, eternally in that. But he that the Son has set free is free indeed. And so you see God as a transforming agent. The Bible calls uh, one of the uh, things that God uh, is called in the scripture is he's called light. Light only exists as it is uh, some kind of a transformation is happening. Uh, in, a, in a star, uh, you, you don't have light just simply because of pressure. Pressure causes hydrogen atoms to be transformed into helium atoms, which makes me sound like I know a lot about it, and thank you for thinking I'm smart, but I really don't. But here's the point. Out of that comes the nuclear furnace, whereby the skies are filled with starlight, and our sky is dominated by the sun. It is out of transformation. If you light a candle, the fire that burns is the product of a material, physical transformation. God is light. There is a transformation that is happening. It is the story of grace. It is the story of hope. It is the story of creation. God also is called love. Literal. God is love. They that serve God, if they are going to be of God, then they are going to have that as a core fundamental way of being. A a literal manner of living. Love is the most transformative power in the world. Love is more powerful than hate. It is more powerful than anger. It is more powerful than rage. Love will work when nothing else works. It is so powerful that the only one who actually had dominant, militant type power, somebody say God, the only one who had the ability to force you, laid that down and chose to love you rather than overpower you. Because love is a source of transformation in our lives. Now, we see this in the characters we read about in the Word of the Lord. Every individual you read about in the in the Word of the Lord, all of them are shown to us as becoming who God would have them to be. I, I want to say that again. I want all of you who have had a bad week to be encouraged by what I'm about to say. God uses people who are not what he can make them to be but they are in process. If that doesn't give you hope, nothing's going to give you hope. They are not who they could be, but they are on a process of spiritual transformation into being more like God than they are like their flesh. That is the ongoing transformation of a spiritual journey. Now, in John 2, John 2, I believe it's verse 42, where Jesus meets Peter for the very first time, he tells him he's going to change his name. Now, you probably think of Matthew 16 that we put on our text, on our slides, 
You probably think that's when Peter found out his name was going to be changed. I, I've, made the, I, I've, I've made that mistake myself. Jesus told him when he met him, he was going to change his name. Think about that. But he did not change it right away. He did not pronounce it right away. He waited for a little while. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter or Petros. And you see this statement of promise. I'm going to transform you in such a manner that you're going to have a different identity. Yes. You're not going to be seen the same way you used to be seen. You are literally going to have a different identity and the change is going to be so different and your function within your society is going to be so different. People are going to have to let go of who you used to be in order for them to accept who you will become. I just explained to you one of the things that a church will allow you to do. A church will help you to let go of who you used to be so you can be redefined in God's kingdom as who you need to become. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. I want us all <coughs> to have a spiritual gift of affirmation one to another. I want us all to have a spiritual gift of edification one to another. And we're always pointing you to who God said you can be, not reminding you of what you've been in the past. Mm. 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 That's some fine preaching, brother. You just keep right on going. Take your time. Take your time. The church should be pointing you to who God said you can be, not reminding you of who you you actually have been. Because the reality is, Peter, you're going to have such a fundamental role in the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. You are going to need a new identity. So what you will see later on in scripture, what we put in our text of 16 and 18 of the gospel of Matthew, where the Lord actually sees uh, this moment where the Bible says he was leading his disciples into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked them this question. It's an important question, but it's not the most important question. Here is the question. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And the answers are not uh, that important except in the context of others. Other people are not who you need to worry about changing. You don't need to worry about other people changing. You have plenty of work at home. Other people are going to disappoint you. And it's actually worse than that. You are going to disappoint you. Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the whatever, some big time kind of come back over the, over the generations. And that's what other people say. All right. Now let's let them say what they're going to say. Let's let them do what they're going to do. Now let's get down to the work of real transformation. Whom do you say you cannot force transformation on anybody else? All you can do is show love, be patient, and give as much as is appropriate. Good advice when it's asked on. Asked for, you worry about who you say that God is. Worry about who you think God is. What you think God can do. So I'm speaking for myself, first of all. My God is great and mighty and glorious and it would blow our minds to think about what he could do. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my strong tower. The righteous run to him and are saved. 
And so Peter, he has to learn how to be led by the Spirit. And at this moment, he that's what has to happen. Uh, you know, you, you usually don't start preaching in front of a lot of people. You kind of learn these moments where you grow in understanding. And Peter needs to feel divine unction right now. And then when he gets it right, he needs God to remind him that he got it right. And so Peter, he steps, thou art the Christ. Yes. Yes. Son of the Son of the living God. Now comes the reinforcement. That's right, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say to you that thou art... I told you I was going to change your identity. You weren't ready when I told you. You weren't ready when I told you. If I would have tried to do it then, it would have hurt more than it helped. All I could do then was give you an idea that a change was coming. Oh, I've come to preach to some folks here today. What you can do for God is greater than anything you've imagined. And so my job is to keep telling you who you could become. My job is to keep telling you God wants to lead people to Christ through you. He wants miracles to happen through your prayers. I'm here to affirm you and say don't give up. Don't quit praying. Don't keep, don't quit knocking, but believe, believe, believe. There is a change coming. Now, Lord, I'm ready for transformation. Now, you're Simon Barjona, son of Jonah. But I'm here to tell you, you are not going to be called that anymore. You're going to be called a Peter. That's a small stone. Petra, thou art Peter. But upon this rock, Petros, large stone, upon this rock, I will build my church. All right, what what is happening? This is the moment of transformation to Peter. And what's Jesus going to do? He's going to attach the prophesied and promised transformation of Peter to this work of the church. You are Peter, a small stone, Petra. You will be, but upon this rock, Petros, large stone, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hear me. Two necessary things for transformation that we see in the scripture, in the scripture together. And that is this: there is a work we cannot do. We could never ascend into the presence of God and be will be worthy of standing there. We could not attain holiness. We could not forgive our own sins. We needed a work done at Calvary. The first and the foundational transformation in our lives had nothing to do with us. It is the gift of God. Somebody say it with me. The gift of God. At Calvary, Christ became our sin. At Calvary, Christ washed us from our iniquity. At Calvary, the Lord made a way out of the judgment of our error. That's what he can do. But he has placed us in a church that we might continue the work of transformation in ourselves and in others. Watch this. I want to show this to you in uh, in the scripture. And I want you to see. I'm going to refer your attention to Ephesians chapter number 4. And I'm going to show you where the apostle is talking about the growth that is happening and the necessary spiritual change that is 
that is happening. He's going to say this. First of all, I, a prisoner of the Lord, I'm in Ephesians 4 of, uh, uh, of the New Testament, of course. Uh, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you called. How do we do that? How do we walk worthy? A lot of people will tell you a lot of things. I'm going to tell you what Paul told you. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. You can't talk bad about other people without it hurting you. Why? There is one body. There is one Spirit. Uh, with Just as you are called with one hope of your calling, there is one Lord. Somebody say yes. There is one faith. Yes. There is one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now let's talk about what God did. We could not do it. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of God's gift, Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, this is God's word. I can't do it. You can't do it. He ascended on high. He led captivity captive. And what did he do? He gave gifts to men. Yeah. Do you see? That's what God can do. That's the work of the cross. But there are two great works whereby transformation happens in God's kingdom. The first is what we could not do. That's Calvary. The second is what we are invited to do. That is the work of the church, the ministry of the church, and the purpose of the church here on earth. Are you hearing me? God did what he could do. He went on high. He led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to us. Why? Paul's going to explain. We can't do what God can do, but we are invited to continue his work in the form of the church. It bothers me that this generation has gotten so comfortable with just letting church kind of be a convenient thing in their life and, and not something that they inconvenience themselves for. Now, many of you people do uh, that. You you drive a long way. We have a, kind of a strange church. We have people who come from a long way to be a part of of our church that is in its own way kind of a, a compliment and I thank you for that uh, but we we ultimately we, we ultimately um, are a church we, we must be challenged in this generation not to let church be based on convenience I I want your children to see how hard you fight to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth I want you to come to church when it's not convenient because it is your invitation to be a part of God's great change agent in the earth. We could not do his work, but we are invited to do ours. He won the victory and gave us gifts. Somebody say, I'm gifted. Now that's not always easy to remind yourself, so it's my job to remind you, you are gifted. This church would not exist without your gifts. I know I'm up here talking the most, but the church would not exist without your gifts. God won the victory and gave you gifts. Why did he give you gifts? Because he wanted you to be a part of the work on earth. Now let's talk about those gifts, Paul says. He gave some apostles. 
He gave some to be prophets. He gave some to be evangelists. He gave some to be pastors. He gave some to be teachers. And he did that for a very important reason. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So hear me. There is a great spiritual work, a necessary work of divine transformation. And what I could not do and what you could not do, God did that for us. God is not asking you to do something that's impossible. God is not commanding you to do something that's impossible. He did the impossible part when he led captivity captive. But having won so great a victory, he ascended and gave gifts to the church that the church might be his transforming agent on earth. Uh, I want you to see that the gifts are all different. Uh, Hannah, go ahead and get ready and come help me. Uh, All the gifts are different. Your gifts are different than my gifts. Your talents are different than my talents. One of the biggest lies that hell has ever told people is that because you feel like people in the church aren't like you and you don't have anybody to quote unquote relate to, that's why you shouldn't be a part of the church. It's a lie and however and whoever you are, the Lord puts you together with others, not because you are the same, but because you are different. So Hannah... Hannah's one of my adopted daughters here. Now, her dad's one of my pastoral friends, and he pastors. He preaches here occasionally, John Moran. But uh, the Lord convicted his daughter about going to a spiritual church, and she had to leave her dad's church, and she had to come here to Charlotte so she could go to a spiritual church. And I'm sure her dad's going to watch this, so you know it's the God's truth, brother. The Lord, I know you raised her, and you paid $300,000. We all know girls are more expensive than boys. You paid $300 to get her raised, but she's mine now. Okay, she's my daughter. The Lord sent her here. So that's all I got to say about that. Just kidding. Hannah's going on a missions trip soon, and she was wanting to know about uh, if she could sell some of baked goods to pay for her way. And I was like, yeah, but you have to help me in a preaching illustration. So here she is. Give her a hand. Isn't she doing a good job up here? All right. So... So, so the art of baking, the art of cooking, I consider myself an excellent cook. Uh, I don't cook, but if I did, I would be excellent at it. And, uh, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I can't cook a lick, but I'm an excellent instruction follower. And if you give me a set of good recipe, I'll do something okay. But um, this, now, now Hannah's a very good cook. The first thing she did when she came to Charlotte, she actually babysit for us, our kids, a few times. And she'd come over and we'd nag her about cooking cookies or something. And she's a very good cook. And so uh, she made this pie here. And if I made this pie, it would be only good for throwing in someone's face. But this is a very delicious pie. I've already tasted it here. And the point of this pie is that it is a uh, it is an emergent deliciousness. <laughs> These are ingredients. Okay, so powdered sugar is, eh, it's, it's good-ish, but it's like too much of one thing. And unless you're three years old, you don't eat powdered sugar. <laughs> now, if you do, that's other problems. God bless you. We'll have the, 
you know, we'll have a, a counselor here for you later on. But um, uh, th- look, this is uh, even peanut butter, which is pretty, pretty good. If you call it eating just peanut butter, that means you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to get lots of protein and gain the right kind of weight. If you just like eat, otherwise, Lord help you, you need psychological help. That's that's all I got to say about that. But now peanut butter's good, but it's it's too much of one thing. Do you see what I'm saying? And if I serve you a meal of peanut butter, you're going to look at me like, really? If I serve you a meal of powdered sugar, you're going to look at me like, really? It's too much of one thing. Do you have, do you have any, uh, you forgot the other stuff? Okay, there's other, what, what's some other, well, yeah, let's just assume I know how to bake. Okay, so maybe there's parsley in this. That's a joke. I know there's no parsley in that. Maybe there's spinach in it. I don't know. It's, it's the, the point is the deliciousness, the deliciousness of, of this pie. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Oh Lord! Every time I, every time I taste this, I want to say, "Won't we have time when we get over yonder? Won't we?" This is delicious. Mm. Well, I want one. Okay. Does anybody want to taste some? I only have one fork, so you have to eat after the pastor. Who wants to dip your finger in it? Uh, go ahead, come on, baby. Come on, take a bit, dip your finger. It's right there, right there. Dip your finger right there. Yeah. Uh, what? Oh, bless God. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I want you to see. If I give you this, it's too much of one thing. It doesn't make sense. Is anybody hearing me here? It doesn't make sense. It's just powdered sugar. It doesn't make sense. This is peanut butter. It's just one thing. It doesn't make sense. I can give you pepper and salt and just the crust. It doesn't make sense. Don't come to church and say, I'm not like other people. You might be the salt in the pie, honey. If I can't get you in the pie, the emergent deliciousness that requires combination is never going to be brought into the unity of it. Do you see? Thank you, darling. I want you to see that you need the church and the church needs you. You need the church and the church needs you. It's not going to be good without your salt. It's not going to be as good without your powdered sugar. It's not going to be as good without the crust. You need the church and the church needs you. This is part of the transformation agent of the kingdom of God, and that is the church. The church will believe in you when no one else believes in you. The church will show up and pray for you when no one else thinks that you have any hope. Your family will give up on you and call you seven names, and the church will still be saying, I believe in you, brother. It doesn't make the church perfect. You may not like the fact that I am the salt or, heaven forbid, the baking soda, and you might say, oh, I'm sweet as powdered sugar. And here, Brother Nathan, is the baking soda. That's kind of like Sister Charlotte's powdered sugar, and I'm baking soda. But if you put us together, mm, it's sweet like fancy pie. (laughs) I want you to see your difference is the point. It's not a mistake. 
and God is going to bring an emergent worship, an emergent, unexpected glory out of the fact that standing before his throne, the speaker is only going to say, look at that. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, and they're all going to join in one song. It's emergent glory. Who would have thought it? Who would have expected it? And I want you to see how the church is fundamentally a part of this by taking you back to Peter. Now, remember, Peter, he was told at the beginning, I'm going to change your name. Musicians, you can come. I'm going to change your name. He was told that at the beginning. He had his name changed toward the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 16. We saw that. Now he's been transformed. But let me tell you a dirty little secret. Even transformed people can backslide. And I know some people don't believe that, but you must—you don't have to cut Peter out of the Bible because Peter will just—he will just shut your argument down. He's had his identity changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now stepping into a new identity. But what does he do when he does? Hear me, hear me, hear me. When he does not understand the work of God, he wants to give up, just like you, just like me. You know, I'm so glad I got glasses for one reason. I don't really like wearing them, but all my life I've wanted to have glasses and make a point with those glasses. All my life I saw preachers do this very other day. They say, but God is just. Peter has a new identity. Yes? Praise the Lord, sister. I can see you now. But he's still capable of ruining everything by backsliding. And he goes back to the old life. What does he do? He goes back to the old life. And the Lord shows up. You see, God will chase your hide down. He's like the shepherd who will leave the 90 and 9 and go chase your hide down. And say, Peter, let's just skip all the, well, there I was, and then there they were, and then there was a sword, and then it was embarrassing, then I ran, and I got to cussing because, you know, it made sense in the moment. And, you know, curse words are invented for a reason, and I I thought it fit right then, and I was cussing, and everybody, and then the, 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 the rooster. And then I was like, oh my goodness, the prophecy's been fulfilled. I'm a, I, I, I've lied to the Lord, and it's just, and I went out on the, and then I, I got out there and I fell down and I prayed and I cried and I beat myself up. And I said, man, there's no point in me going to church. Blah, 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 blah. The Lord skipped all of that. He just skipped over it. He like pretended nothing had happened. And he said, Peter, do you love me? But Lord, the story works better if you let me give all my excuses. No. Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And what does the Lord do? He connects the change of identity with the church that is being birthed. And the Lord says to him, feed my sheep. You can't love me in a boat, Peter. You can't love me in another life. You can't love me in the old you. But if you do love me, I have a work for you to do in the church I am establishing. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. Feed my sheep. Your transformation 
It was not about you alone. It was about you as an introduction. And then it was about you loving, accepting, serving others. Let me say it again. You need the church and the church needs you. If you love him, feed his sheep. Create a culture of acceptance. Create a culture of edification. Peter, do you love me? Peter realizes uh, he, he's not answering correctly. He's like, Lord, I, I, I want, I, I, look, you know all things. You know if I love you. The Lord said, okay, feed my lambs. I changed your identity for a reason. And that reason was this work I am establishing. I need you to invest in the church I am building. And Peter goes back to being who God said he could be. Not what his failures and fears said he could be. My appeal to every one of you here today is God does a great thing in a church. I believe God's doing a great thing in our church. I know it's not always easily understandable, certainly not by me, but this is what I know. I see God's hand everywhere I look, and I see God's blessing everywhere I look, and I'm excited. And if I am going to be a part of God's work, I'm not going to be able to do it off on my lonesome. I need to be a part of God's people. I need to invest in his kingdom. I may be salty. You might be sweet. I might be sweet. You might be salty. You might be the cream cheese. I might be the crust. It's okay. When God puts this thing together, there's going to be an emergent glory that comes out of it for his name. Let's all stand all across the house. I want to invite you right now to step out of the chair you're standing in. I want you to I want to invite you to come down across the front here. We do this on Sundays. Our guests and our friends, please feel free to come with us. We will not embarrass you in any way. But this is the moment right now after having Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.